The Football Pod on OTB Sports. You still listen to the Football Pod, or is that like texting your ex? Absolutely. As I often said, I'm jealous that uh, I don't know who's so good, the little whore. <laughs> the Football Pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. And welcome back to the show. On Monday, the death was announced of Tom O'Reardon, Irish Olympian and long-standing athletics and GEA journalist. You can talk about the 13 Irish records, the 12 national titles he won, uh, working for independent newspapers for 38 years and covering every Olympic Games up until the year 2000 in Sydney. To look back on a life that was packed to the full, our journalists Cleena Foley and Vincent Hogan, both of whom were long-standing colleagues of Tom's and also long-standing friends as well, of course, in the uh, line of duty. Uh, welcome along to you both. Um, I mentioned all those records and uh, years and numbers and all that at the, at the top. Uh, I suppose, Cleena, what's been uh, staggering over the last couple of days when you see the outpouring uh, towards the O'Reardon family and memories of Tom is that it's not any of that. It's the, it's the personal nature of the relationships that kind of sticks out when talking about the tributes to him over the past couple of days. Yeah, Vincent will tell you, um, as long as I worked with him, and I'm sure Vincent will probably say the same, he never spoke about the Olympics. He never talked about an Irish record or winning anything. That was just not his way at all. He was very private, very proud, kind of private man, very interesting man, brilliant sense of humour, just unending enthusiasm for everything he did. He used to bounce into the office as if he was still 12 years old. Very, you know, still as fit looking as ever too at the time. You know, looked look, looked like a greyhound, a classic uh, uh, long distance runner, you know, physique that he held all his life. But Tom never, ever spoke. And I, I'd, I'd be really interested to hear it. I remember asking him even about, he went to the, he went to America, you know, in 1957, he went to Idaho from the middle of Kerry, which is, you know, when you think about that. And I asked a member once about what was it like to go to America on scholarship. And the only thing he told me, which I thought was so reflective of him and where he was from was, he said it was the potato state. And, and you know, that was his interest in it because he came from farming stock and he was still big into farming and rural life. And there were all those things. But he never spoke about running the Olympics or getting the athletic scholarship or anything like that. Sure, he didn't, Vincent. No, I kind of, I would absolutely agree totally with Kleena there. And, and I'll say something against myself. I went to the Atlanta Games in 96 with Tom not even realizing Tom had been an Olympian. Now that's that will show you how in you know how kind of low-key he was about everything he had done himself. And I, I thought about a lot about this afterwards because I was at six Olympics and two of them were with Tom, Atlanta and Sydney. And the, the more I went into those Olympics, the more fascinated I became sitting on a flight going into an Olympic city and you're surrounded by Olympic athletes, and you think of the psychological tyranny of the four-yearly cycle and everything they've put in for a moment that could be a minute long or two hours long, and and there you, you saw so many haunted people. And I'd love to have spoken to Tom about the experience of 64 in Tokyo. Obviously, he ended up disappointed not making the 5,000-meter final, but he never spoke about stuff like that. You know, Tom O'Reardon just wore his his achievements so lightly. And, you know, I joined the Irish Independent in 1985 and, and growing up in Nina, County Tipperary, our house was an Irish Independent house. So all of these people, the Sean Diffleys, the Colm Smiths, the Noel Dunns, the Damien McElroys, Kieran Rooney's, Tom McGinty, Carl McGinty, Tom Cryan, and Tom O'Reardon, they were superstars to me. And I remember going in in 1985 and just down, three doors down from the old independent offices in Abbey Street was the Oval Bar. 
And if yeah. you went into the Opal Bar back then, framed caricatures of all of those writers were up on the walls. These guys were superstars, but the only one of them that actually had this body of high achievement as a sportsman himself was Tom O'Reardon. But most of us never even knew the extent of it. Like, I, I think back now and Ian, his son, writing for the Irish Times, has written beautifully about his dad in recent times. And I've learned so much from mm. Ian's columns about Tom. And then Sinead Kassan, his niece, did an interview with Tom, I think it was in 2017, to mark his 80th. And I learned more from that. And I'm kind of shocked that I could have spent so much time in the company of this man and known so little about him. The piece with Sinead from um, from 2017, it's actually like when you when you go into it, you think it's going to be a full on profile and it is. And there aren't even, it's not as, even, as if it's laden with quotes from Tom, but from what you do hear from him, Kleena, you do get a sense of the man he was and the kind of person that he would have uh, added to an office environment or to yeah. bring, bring to a games. There, there's a sense that the less he spoke, the more he said. Would that be accurate? Yeah, um, yeah, and when he did speak, he, he, he had a great sense of humour and a really, really great, just just a twinkle in his eye when he would crack a joke, you'd all crack up. I, I saw a brilliant line, um, somebody quoted today, Nohara from from, uh, when, from the Independent had a great line. He was saying he rang Gillian O'Sullivan's house once, the race walker who won a, a silver medal in the World Championships. He rang her house once and they said she was out for a walk. She'd gone out for a walk and he, and he answered straight off the bat, will she be 10 minutes or three hours? Which that was just genius that Aidan remembered it um, and he was really he had that quick really quick fast carry wit but yeah I, th- I think I think we were just talking before we came on air Vincent and I what, what was amazing about him in a, in a business that has was then I st- probably was but is particularly so now he didn't have a cynical bone in his body Tom walked into the office every day and he would be in the office every day with the same enthusiasm that he probably walked into you know primary school with he just everything especially about sport excited him and GA as well he was as interested in GA and his beloved Kerry of course um, and he had a few blind spots Kerry Kerry was one of them clearly but like he approached everything with that kind of infectious enthusiasm I think Johnny Watson's described him this week as an evangelist and he was like everybody was just everything everything interested him um, and it said there was never any there was never any cynicism he was genuinely interested but what was what made him unique I suppose first of all was and he wasn't just an Olympian a, as a journalist, that's very, very rare. It's very rare that somebody has that expertise in a sport. Um, and, and you see a lot of ex-athletes um, now who become commentators um, and an al- analysts and co-commentators, but they're not journalists. And Tom had a nose for a story, didn't he? I mean, he really did, Vincent. He would... I saw Sonia Sullivan in a piece uh, this week with Carl Denny saying, you know, he was he could be like a dog with a bone. If you went after the story, he would not let it go. So he was a really good journalist as well. He was outstanding, Clina. He had a, he could cover stuff in forensic detail. Um, but the thing that does strike me, and, and you know, you talk about that enthusiasm, and in today's cynical world, it's almost an in, it's depicted as innocence by some people. But he could write with that enthusiasm about people who had achieved nothing remotely close to what he'd achieved himself. And that was yeah. the beautiful thing about him. Ego was gone out of the way. But it wasn't just about sports. You could sit beside Tom at a GA match and he'd talk about being up cutting turf (laughs) the the day before. And do you know what I had, he'd say? I had these fresh tomatoes, which we'd grown. 
and this fresh brown bread. And I don't know whether it was him or Barbara had cooked the fresh brown, baked the bread, fresh brown bread. He used to bake it himself, I think, as but well you, as Barbara. You yeah. would be salivating listening to him <laughs> because of the enthusiasm. And every now and then he'd tell you about a lovely pint of Guinness he'd had somewhere. And you'd just think, I have to have a pint of Guinness now. <laughs> he just spoke with this compelling enthusiasm about everything. Even the simplest things in life were wonderful to him. That's almost yeah, a- Go on again, Kina. Yeah, no, it's just it's that it, there was there was that to him, and then there was also, as I said, that sort of quiet pride, a quiet privacy as well. And he told me a story once that I always remember. And he told you very little, really, about himself. But once he told me that um, he we were talking about speeding tickets because journalists tend to get speeding tickets, particularly on uh, days when they're rushing to all Ireland. And um, you were chatting about t- speeding tickets one day in the office, and he said, "I got one once." He said, "And I'll never forget it." And he had interviewed an inter-county player, we'll say on the Wednesday of a week, and he'd gone down the country somewhere and he had interviewed him. Um, and uh, I think not long after, it was either the following week, he was stopped. He was a guard and he was stopped on the road and he rolled down the window and he recognised your man and your man clearly recognised him, but continued writing him the ticket. And Tom never said a word and your man never said a word and he handed him the ticket. And that would be Tom. Tom would never, ever have tried to use his influence or say, do you not know who I am? Or Jesus, shouldn't we have, we didn't have a cup of tea last week, didn't we last week? Not a word passed between them. And he accepted the speeding ticket and went on. Vincent, was it that enthusiasm that you spoke about that made him such a good writer? It was enthusiasm and empathy, I think, Richie. Yeah. He had a wonderful empathy for people. Um, and I give you, I tell you a little story that just captures him. Like he was such a proud Kerry man that we used to, whenever we were doing our predictions for the season, that we'd say, "Well, there's no point in asking Tom. He's always going to say <laughs> Kerry," because he would feel it was some kind of betrayal of of sorts if he didn't predict Kerry to win the All Ireland. But I was talking to Jim Carney of RTE fame. He was the first presenter, obviously, of the Sunday game sure. and of. Galway fame and I was just talking to Jim last night about something completely different and and Jim had a horrendous car accident in 1978 that nearly killed him Um, but when he came round he he, he almost died but when when he came round a few weeks later there was a massive card beside the bed for Jim and it was signed by every member of the Kerry squad and it came from Tom O'Reardon and it was months later before Jim was well enough to meet anybody. And he met Tom and he, and he just said, look, thanks so much for that. Because it was obvious from the card that it wasn't the one hand with putting 40 signatures. There were 40 different signatures that Tom O'Reardon had got. And he said, how did you do that? And he said, well, I was thinking of you going to the All-Ireland final. It was the famous day that uh, Paddy Cullen was chipped by Mike Sheehy, that famous Con oh, yeah. line, you know, a, a, a woman who's left the, the, the oven on. And um, he said, I went into the dressing room and in those days, journalists could go into the dressing room and the players hung around that any of them would chat to you. And so he meticulously went through the entire squad and get them to sign a get well message for Jim Carney. So here he is working at an All-Ireland final in a busy, stressful enough day for a journalist. And that was Tom O'Reardon's instinct. Jim Carney has had a horrific accident and I'm going to do this for him. And, and Jim still has that card to this day. That's wow. a that's a remarkable thing, Cleon, isn't it? That kind of yeah. empathy and that kind of care for, for those yeah. in your immediate environment, I guess. 
Yeah, yeah. And do you know, I think the, I, I often I often thought as well, probably Vincent uh, would would probably have seen this from him as well. I think the empathy came from having physically done it himself. Mm. Like he loved he loved endurance athletes, obviously. He loved Gaelic footballers. He loved GA. He loved Kerry Hurling. Like he loved he, and he's a, he, he was recognised. He's one of the journalists in the, the GA have a kind of a, I think it's a McDonough Award and he was recognised in their Hall of Fame for, for his GA journalism. So he wasn't just a brilliant athletics writer, but um, he loved he loved people who put their bodies through a lot. He really appreciated that, and I think that's where the empathy came from because he obviously did it himself. Like he he, uh, he you know he was such a brilliant athlete. He put himself through so much, and he loved somebody like Seamus Power. Seamus Power was a brilliant, brilliant cross country runner from Clare who probably never made it in terms of internationals. And if you weren't an athletics person, you wouldn't know him. But he was the ultimate, and he had brilliant battles with Peter Matt. There was a couple of them at the same time, all came up to the same time. They used to have these amazing cross-country battles. But Tom loved somebody like Seamus Power because he could understand what he was putting his body through. And also he was a country guy. And I think that's what made him such a a good GA writer, I think, as well, was because he brought that rural that rural knowledge and that background uh, to it. And I just always felt that, that I think people that he interviewed as well, uh, particularly rural GA players, understood that he understood where they came from. I think that's a great point, Clina, because the one thing he, he had was a kindness towards people who struggled and had a bad day. But he also had that kind of journalistic rigour and, and Sonia has spoken about this yeah. many times. He could be quite hard on Sonia because yeah. he knew how good Sonia was and he knew what Sonia would have expected of herself and demanded of herself. So he, the journalistic rigour would be a little bit stiffer with someone of her talent or Eamon Cochrane's talent or John Tracy's talent. And all of these athletes taught the world of Tom because he understood what they were doing and he didn't let them off. He, was absol- he would absolutely question them um, almost forensically about why they didn't perform on a given day. But with another athlete who he understood was at the limit of their capacity, his kindness, he would never, ever be unfair to them. Is is that an athletics thing or is that just because when I read the Sonia quote about the 96 Olympics and, and Tom writing her that letter and detailing uh, where it went wrong for her, um, mm-hmm. I, it brought to mind and a lot of the anecdotes about Tom in, in the last few days it brought to mind Jerry Kiernan because there's a sense that they turned their own experience back towards people that they were coaching or younger athletes in general and people that they knew had a bit of ability about them and so the chance and the ability to maybe go on and be a bit more than what they'd shown already. Was that an athletics thing or was that just a shared trait between the two of them, do you think? It's not what do you think? Uh, like I, I think I think I think you see that in horse racing as well. I th- you know I think a lot of a lot of former jockeys go into horse racing, go into the broadcast side of it, and you can see that they really understand physically what jockeys have to go through. And I think maybe you know it's rare enough, as I said, it is very rare to have an Olympian who becomes a journalist, or, you know, a real journalist, not just a columnist or a commentator, but a journalist who has to who has to rigorously ask hard questions. Um, so I think there was that element that yeah, and 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 himself. Jerry Kiernan would have had great, great to do's, and like Jerry as well, he was big into horse racing as well. He he loved his horse racing as well. He was interested in that kind of stuff. I, I'm not sure. I I don't know. Is it is it solely athletics, or is it just that physically you you have been through it at such a high level? You know, when you 
when you've been limping, even though he he wore that, you know, totally humbly and never mentioned it, but he did. He understood the splits and the training and everything you had to go through. So it mm. it, it possibly I, I, made him that. that I, I think there's something in what yeah. Tina is saying there. I also think that by its nature, the life that those elite athletes lead is a very unnatural life, and it's 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 a life that exposes them to all kinds of emotional trauma and turmoil that only someone probably who's been through it can understand truly. And most of us who cover Olympics or cover world championships, that we really don't quite get that. We don't understand what, it, what they've been through. And sometimes I remember, for example, asking one Olympian when they'd not made the Olympic final, you know, was that an opportunity let slip? And they almost at the face of me because and I, and I thought about it afterwards and you know what an obnoxious kind of sounding question to make because for four years they had been through the mill in god knows what they've been through and only their partners maybe their their children possibly even could understand the level of application required to get there and here's this journalist who's never done anything more uh, <laughs> more difficult to play five-a-side football <laughs> and he's he's coming up with a question like that so i think that's where that comes from richie that yeah. an understanding of how difficult it is to be an olympian to be an elite athlete at that level um and to understand how fine a line it is i mean i think tom you know spoke to Sinead that time about his regrets carrying right through the rest of his life from tokyo mm. 64, because he got one shot of it. He didn't get to another Olympics as an athlete. And, you know, that's that stays with you. you. You don't just flush that out of your system. It's a huge thing that stays with you forever. When you had that chance, what did you do? He says in that piece as well that he, he lived his life without regrets and that, he, you know, essentially he lived his life to the fullest, cleaner. But you do get the sense that he had channeled that disappointment of finishing ninth in his heat and missing out in the final in, in 64. He had channeled that into... One, covering his sport as best he could, and secondly, yeah. by encouraging others around him to try and fulfil their potential as well. Yeah, absolutely, and and like I think I think that's the great was probably the great joy of his life was that even though when he got that chance at the Olympics and you know he had done extraordinary things like he ran a Madison Square Garden, ran a European three mile indoor record there I think, and was just off the European record out outdoors by six seconds or something mm. like he just did amazing things. But he got the chance to work. In, in, in elite sport, which is such a joy for all of us who do it. Uh, he brought that extra bit of, of insight with him to it. And I think then then that, you know, that's... Uh, but I don't think that would... I think he always would have been as enthusiastic about everything. Uh, it, it was his personality. He was just, as I said, there was no cynicism about him. And he just he just marvelled at everything and, and particularly at athletics and sporting endeavours that he loved, you know, and everybody, like, he had weaknesses, Vincent, Vincent anybody who worked as a sub-editor would tell you this, like, what, the one of the problems for sub-editors was if you asked Tom for 400 words, he gave you 800 because he was so enthusiastic about everything. He overwrote everything because he just, he wanted to give you every single piece of information he could give you about somebody, you know, and when young athletes came through, they were always going to be world champions just simply because, again, he was so enthused by talent and he 
and he, he he wouldn't be looking for the negatives in it. He wouldn't be looking for the pitfalls. They would occur down the road and he'd cover them. But when he saw raw talent, he just loved to write about it. So he, he used to overwrite and, and the subs used to have great fun with them and, and, and slag him for that. Um, but I think that enthusiasm was just part of his natural personality. Yeah. Um, it just it just it was just lucky that he was able to apply it in a sport where in, in, an, in a career where it actually was such an asset, really. Actually, I'll give you an example of that enthusiasm. I, remember, I don't know whether it was Atlanta or in Sydney. Um, I found him typing frantically one day and I said, what, what, what are you working on, Tom? And he said, um, I think it was, oh, I'm doing a preview of the marathon. And I said, uh, but we don't have anyone in the marathon, Tom. No, no, he says, but it's going to be a fabulous race. <laughs> and he had something like twelve or 1,300 words of a preview done knowing there was no chance that they were going to use 1300s of a preview of a marathon in which there was no Irish competitor. But he was just sucked up in the, the whole the whole majesty of a race that was building. And, um, you know, I used, to, I used to laugh with this, with, with Clean about this, because Clean then became my partner when I went to from, say, Athens on. Yeah. And um, but you tried to make an arrangement with Tom. Tom, we'll have breakfast in the morning and we'll make a plan for the day. We'll make a plan for the day, he says. He'd never show up because he just got a rush of blood and he was gone. He, he was, was in gone. the main, main press centre, typing away frantically. <laughs> what a man. I, I was just going to ask Vincent, because like I remember being over in, in Rio and one of the things that I did over there was essentially look at what you were all doing. And like we'd cross paths at different events and like that was my first games. I, I, I dread to think how far along the road you are in terms of uh, Olympic games covered in comparison. But you kind of look around you and you see what others are doing. You try to take your cues from them. You try to see what they're doing. What like what was your relationship in terms of 96 when you were covering Atlanta with Tom and, and looking at what he was doing and, and trying to, I don't know if you're trying to learn from him or trying to uh, divvy up duties or, or what was the way of doing things back then? Well, he'd make you panic, Richie, because he always had a story. And, <laughs> uh, you know, you walk into a main press centre for your first Olympics and you'll know this from Rio. Mm. It's a pretty intimidating place to be because everyone seems to be in the zone and they're working. And you've just arrived and you're kind of saying, well, I don't know what to do. You know, where do I go? And where am I going to get a story here? Whereas Tom was just straight into it on the front foot you know, just three weeks ahead of him and he was going to go for it. And um, so I, I look, the one thing about Tom was you just stayed close to him whenever you could, because he was a great guiding hand. He had great advice and he had a great kindness and he had a great understanding of how intimidating that could be, particularly when it was your first first one. But there was a great camaraderie between that generation of journalists. Yes. Tom Crine used to go for the boxing. Martin Breheny would be there for the press. Jimmy Megan, you know, uh, your brother, brother of my, my father-in-law. And um, they used to have such fun. And these guys, they would break away with the Hugh McIlvanys and the Patrick Collinses, the biggest writers in the UK. And they'd have a quiet beer at three in the afternoon, wherever they were, just to gather their thoughts and have a chat just for half an hour and then to go back and work. And Tom, who was this fitness fanatic who always looked after himself, could slip into that company so easily and not be judgmental in any way and just be, be part of the group. And, and that, was his, that was the beauty of the man. He was never judgmental in an industry where 
it wasn't exactly known for clean living, Richie. And, no. uh, <laughs> well, there's a reason why the pictures are up in the Oval and not in a gym. Well, ex- exactly. You got, you got it in one there. And, uh, but but, but with, with Tom, look, he, he was just, he could be part of that without sculling the pints like the others. Yeah. And then at the end of the evening, Richie, when, you know, when the, if, and, I, and he would always end up at a track, you know, he would always be, he'd end the day at the track, obviously, if it was in the Olympics particularly. Um, but what always would amaze me afterwards is when, when the lights had begun out in the stadium and you might have got somewhere for a drink, one, one drink before you'd finish up and go home, he would analyse every race. He could give you splits on races. He could tell you why somebody didn't win a race. That that equally fascinated him. Do you know, he just thought about athletics so deeply and so enthusiastically and loved the whole tactical thing of it. He was mm. brilliant on tactics and, you know, just would really love to analyse and would be full of regrets particularly for Irish athletes who would be saying, oh, if only they had done that. He would nearly take it to heart. He would feel deeply for them, you know, that they didn't get through that heat or that they didn't make a medal. He really, he really cared. Without wanting to turn the, the, the conversation inwards, I guess, it's kind of his passing marks the fact that that's an era of Irish journalism that is kind of drifting away. The idea that a newspaper would have a dedicated athletics columnist, etc., etc., is becoming all the more rarer in an industry that's contracting further and further year on year. So there is an added sadness, Vincent, I guess, to see someone like Tom uh, moving on, passing away like that. There is definitely, Richie, but, you know, he wasn't just an athletics correspondent because, you know, with the best will in the world, the athletics, the focus on athletics is a kind of a four yearly thing or maybe the world championships or European championships. But it's certainly not a 12 month thing, you know, and, and Tom was a very good GA writer, really, really wrote some beautiful stuff on the GA and he could turn his hand to anything mm. and I have to say I was I was really shocked you know this Maliki Clerkin sent me a message on, on Monday um, I couldn't believe the news when I heard it because I, I hadn't seen Tom and again it's remiss of us all we, we kind of lose touch it's about four years ago I think since I, I went over to the house I, I brought him over a book and the, the Parkinson's uh, was, was impacting on him then but he was still uh, the same sparkling eyes and you know the same always ready for a laugh and you know it 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 hadn't really impacted on him that heavily at the time and then you'd meet Ian at matches and you'd always how's Tom and and Ian would be kind of philosophical yeah he's doing well so I was really saddened to hear what happened and uh, you know for Barbara who's just such a wonderful woman and Mm. you know for the whole family it's 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 a really sad thing that uh, I described him on Twitter as a beautiful man. And, and that's the only word that really chimes for me with Tom O'Reardon. He was a beautiful man. Mm. Yeah, there's, we always we always say in journalism, you know, it, there's not it's it's not a business where everybody speaks kindly of each other. But I haven't seen one bad word said about him. Nothing but talk, from, particularly from younger journalists, you know, who came after him, who Absolutely. all said how kind he was and how helpful he was when they met him. But in the last in the last two years, really, Irish athletics has lost a lot of big allies. So Jerry Kieran and Brian Corcoran in 2021. In the past year alone, Christy Wall, Sean Nocton, Ray Flynn recently, all you know, volunteers. And administrators and then Brendan Mooney from the Examiner who Tom would have been very friendly with as well another great uh, dead journalist so if there is a heaven there'll be some discussions of uh, the World Championships and the European Championships this summer Yeah I'm, I, I, you keep going back I know you didn't, you didn't talk much about him but it is striking 
the life that he lived before becoming a journalist and even though even there was an overlap as well because uh, Cahill Dennehy he's obviously taken with the baton in some degree as well uh, that Tom had uh, handled for so long uh, mentioned that the, like he was reporting on races in which he'd run himself and not just like you know park runs or whatever he was there were national championships which it was Tom had just run world cross countries, countries. Richie. and he's picking up the phone afterwards and, and ringing in copy, which is just remarkable stuff. Yeah, there's and a, remember, this is way before mobile phones. This was I, when I was, it was hard to get to a phone after. Wasn't I was it? just going to say that. I mean, that's just picture that you've got to find the payphone. There may well be a queue at the payphone. You know, it brings me back to Hillsborough when I went to Liverpool the week after Hillsborough, and the first game Liverpool Everton played. Uh, Liverpool played was at Goodison Park against Everton, and I had to get a payphone outside Goodison Park to file my colour piece. And by the time I was finished, there was about 20 Liverpudlians outside very angry with me. So clean is dead right. This, this was a different generation. I sometimes say to my children, you know, when I went to the first Rugby World Cup in 87, I brought a typewriter in the case and you sent your stuff by fax. Yeah. So Tom would have covered all of those generations right across to the current day when everything is digital and whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just think of this man still in his running gear, standing in a payphone. That's uh, it's what, a, what an image. <laughs> it, it's an image, but it's also like it's one thing to like we were talking outside about, you know, we we're doing a piece this evening on, on Kerry Mayo in 2014. And it's almost like you don't want to get a player to talk about it because they don't have the sense of the wider occasion and the wider scope of this thing and the whole narrative of it. Clean. So for somebody to have raced in a world cross country, to be suddenly summing up the race in which they've run and almost setting aside what they've done themselves and concentrating Absolutely. on the narrative of this. Like that's, that's, that's incredible. Absolutely it incredible. Is, it is incredible. It is incredible. But, uh, you know, the, I, the one thing I really would love to have known more was about what Idaho State was like when he went to university there. Mm, because, yeah. as I said, he went from Ardfert and Kerry out to the, almost to the west coast of America. And when he qualified, I think in 50, 61, then he went to California to train. And it just culturally, like the early 60s in California, the whole thing was just, must have been so amazing and so incredible. And, and yet, as I said, I was always always amazed at, at how just he just wouldn't talk about it and it was just he was always on to the next thing he loved the, the, the next big thing coming up or the next big thing coming up in sport and he loved new talent as well he always loved to see young young talent coming whether it was GA you know or, or uh, athletics he would be in straight he'd be in the Monday morning to say Oh, wait till I tell you about the fellow I saw yesterday, you know, or the athlete I saw yesterday. So, um, but yeah, that ability to, <laughs> I mean, as I said, that's what made him totally unique. We called him the runner. He was always known in the office as the runner. Um, those were the days when sports journalists were colourful enough to have uh, to have nicknames. Um, and his one was so appropriate because he was always on the balls of his feet. You know, he was always ready to go. It didn't matter. And I never saw the man wear athletics at leisure gear in my life. Um, he always had a lovely sports coat and was always beautifully dressed. Um, and yet he could have flown out that door and dropped everything and he'd be dying. <laughs> he could have done a four minute mile, I'd say, to get down if there was a story. Like he had a brilliant, brilliant nose for a story and he was a proper journalist. Once those papers are put to bed, Vincent, and you know, y'all head down to the Oval, was there any almost like prodding of him to try and get those stories of heading over to Idaho in 57 or the Olympics or that? Or did he just fob it off and just say Asher look it I want to talk about this I want to talk about something else 
No, I, I have no memory of him ever talking about it. I mean, one of the things that I've only discovered reading obituaries in the last couple of days, Richie, is I had no idea he managed the Irish team at the World Cross Country I Championships. I didn't Limerick know that either. In 1979. <laughs> and this yeah. was the year, of course, John Tracy um, successfully won, defended his title that he won in Scotland the year before. And, and for me, that was such a big event. But Tom O'Reardon at the time was a big journalist with the Irish Independent and yet he managed that team and you know as someone said well he wouldn't have any trouble getting quotes from the the athletes afterwards because he was the manager Um, so but to answer your question Richie no I I can never remember people even remotely talking about Tom's career as an athlete because it was just an understanding almost that he wasn't particularly interested in talking about it he was more interested in other people and what they were doing. And like I said, sometimes people who were achieving only a fraction of what he himself had achieved, but he was more interested in them. Yeah. And it's it, it's brilliant to see how Ian, his son, is almost followed in his footsteps, almost beat for beat. I mean, going from being a, an impressive runner into being an even more impressive journalist, like that's that's quite a tale in itself. It is, and I think Tom was very, very proud of Ian, mm. and and Ian likewise and mutually, very, yeah. very proud of Tom. And you know, as a as a father, I I must say I found it very moving some of the times the way Ian has written about Tom, um, because you, we all want our children to love us. And um, you know, the one thing that Tom O'Riordan was under no illusions about was the pride his family had in him, not just as an athlete or a journalist. But as a human being, and, and, I, and I think that's shown through, that everybody who knew Tom O'Riordan, be it family, friends, athletes he wrote about, GA players he dealt with, the great Paul O'Shea, Paul O'Shea loved the, the, loved the bones of the man. And, uh, but they all, they all just loved the human side of Tom. And, 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 and that's what we'll miss. You know, we, our journalism and whatever we do in our lives professionally will pass into the ether, but... The, the human side, that's what we remember, what we'll cherish. Mm-hmm. Vincent, I think that's a, an appropriate way in which to end things and, and our memories of, of Tom O'Reardon here. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to walk down memory lane and talk about Tom with both of you and, and get that experience and just, I guess, have someone from Rob off and the rest of us. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Vincent Hogan and Cleena Foley uh, with the memories of Tom O'Reardon. Thank you both. Thanks, Thanks Richie. Richie.